Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys... Just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, Adam, it's so hot. We usually we do a sync clap before the episode. Mm-hmm. I could hear your hands coming back apart after yeah. the sync clap. Three, two, one. That's how yeah. hot it is. <laughs> That's how hot it is. Hotter for you than it is for me, but still pretty hot. I got nice and sweaty on the dog walk this morning. I've been going out, walking the dog, getting wet. (laughs) (laughs) Just observing house fires in your neighborhood and getting wet. Yeah, getting wet, watching people's entire houses burn down. Just a wonderful time to be alive. But I do have some good news, Adam. Oh, yeah? We got a angry call from the post office. Why haven't you come and picked up your mail in over a month? Ooh. So I went over and picked up our mail, and we got a whole bunch of mail. Hey, do you still have that message? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. I think we're in a two-party consent state. I don't think we would legally be allowed to play the nice lady who works at the post office chewing me out. You think the post office police would come down on us for that? Is that what you think? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, l- let's do a little postal inspecting of our own, Adam. And open these packages. I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. So give me a sense for, for scope here. Were they righteous in their indignation based on the number and size of packages you had to pick up? I have to say, we moved to a new post office for our P.O. box recently. And the old post office never batted an eye at people sending stuff to Uxbridge Shimoda or people Mm -hmm. sending stuff to The Greatest Generation or people stuff sending to Ben and Adam. All of those worked. Nobody ever complained. They might have, like, asked for clarification. Is this to you or is Mm -hmm. this a mistake once Mm -hmm. or twice? But it was never an issue. No. This post office, there are rules. They are mad that stuff is coming in that says The Greatest Generation they're like, do you have any documentation to prove that you are the greatest generation? Wow. Uh, and I'm like, I don't have like a piece of paper from a gas company that says that, but that's my podcast. Like you could look it up on Wikipedia and they're like, that's not oh, good shit. enough. Yeah. Our credit card says Uxbridge Shimoda. It doesn't say greatest generation. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be able to prove that either if someone wanted my papers. Yeah, so just a word of warning to anyone out there who would like to send something to us. Put Ben and Adam on the package, because otherwise we will get a lot of questions, and it might get sent back to you. It kind of sounds like the post office is mad at you for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. And not just one. Yeah, it's a constellation of reasons. This first item we have here is from Paul in Durham, North Carolina, right there next to Raleigh. Mm. Research Triangle area of the country yeah a place you've been many times i have i I used to have family in that part of the country they've all moved to different places now but uh, i want to go to the carolinas it seems like a fun place to go oh yeah get some crabs with soft shells i would recommend Asheville. Asheville is a most enjoyable place to visit Um, 
I haven't been to the research triangle part in, you know, since I was a kid, so I couldn't speak to it from a... Uh, was the research triangle where you were born? <laughs> it's where they drew up the plans for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hello, Ben and Adam. Greetings from the East Coast. My wife and I are longtime friends of DeSoto and look forward to your podcast every week. We're currently prepping for a move to Toronto and cleaning out the closet. We came across these old Star Trek cards. I think I got as a stocking stuffer a long time ago. I figured it'd be a great addition to your growing collection of memorabilia and goodies, though I don't quite think you can play a round of war with them. Hope you like them and hope to catch you at a future live show. Cheers, Paul. Wow. Wow, So we've got friends of DeSoto who are intentionally moving to cities where we do live shows every year. That's (laughs) the dedication. That's the kind of dedication we look for. Uh So uh, They get tired of waiting. There's just a few of these, but they are all part of the master series of cards. Whoa, look at those. They're Uh, really beautiful. They are really beautiful. There's a Kira down there. Yeah, there's a there's a Kira, there's a Kirk, there's a Riker and Minuet here. We've got Data and Lore. We've got somebody named Ruck. Look at Ruck. I don't know Ruck. I guess Ruck may be an original series person. Hmm. And someone named Kamala, a rare empathic metamorph from the planet Krios. We remember Kamala. Kamala is the one that got away. Remember the perfect mate? Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul G. And I hope your move to Toronto is fruitful. Yeah, we'll see you there hopefully next year. Hey, speaking of Toronto, our next one here is to us, and it's from Josh Z in Toronto. Came all the way from overseas, Adam. The letter's like, hey, we've been evicted from our home because the the people who own it are coming back to live there from the uh, research triangle. (laughs) Goes like this. Ben, being a dad is the absolute best thing in the world. I bet you'll be great at it. Bashaa Tova, Josh. P.S. Paternity leave is amazing and the FODs will understand. It's not about us anyways, if you want it. Wow, thank you. Josh, I Josh has invited you to leave the show for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take as much as you need, Ben. Josh has sent one of these gold-bound kids' oh, books. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a Star Trek alphabet book. That's amazing. You're going to need one of those. Yeah. I should also say, I didn't. Uh, I opened it a while ago. I did not realize it was a thing for the show because uh, Brie Belke has my home address. But Brie, <laughs> Brie Belke sent a Star Trek onesie. Uh, wow. And uh, I think it is going to be much to my wife's chagrin that almost all of the baby stuff we currently possess is Star Trek related. <laughs> That's awesome. You got to put the onesie up on the Insta. Yeah. A couple of other things included in here are some, uh, some Star Trek themed stickers. You oh, got a cool. Ge- a George and Gracie sticker, a Starfleet Academy like Christmas sweater style sticker. This next one is from Emily in Nettleton, Mississippi. M I crooked letter, crooked letter I, crooked letter, crooked letter I, humpback, humpback I. There is a letter. Dear Mr. Harrison and Pranica, thanks for making such an enjoyable pod. I watched TNG Weekly during its original run, but fell off watching Trek regularly after it ended. Although I still haven't made it through all of DS9, I have taken the opportunity to watch Voyager before viewing the pod every week. And I highly recommend it to FODs who don't. Please find enclosed a Klingon language CD that I've had in my possession for some 20-odd years. I have no idea where I acquired it or why. 
but I do have a distinct memory of listening to the introduction where Michael Dorn recommends that you keep a handkerchief handy while practicing, since spitting is to be expected. Your loyal viewer, Richard. P.S. Wow. Shout out to my buddy Cliff, who should catch up to this episode sometime in 2020. <laughs> oh, so 2023 is crossed out and 2025 is put in mm. uh, in pen. Fair. <laughs> Not many audiobooks or the like come with a handkerchief warning. Yeah. This is the Klingon. Yeah. The Klingon, uh, yeah. like, learn Klingon at home. Uh, it's conversational That's the way to Klingon. Do it. You're not going to be fluent, okay? But it's enough to get by. Yeah. That's Presented the... by Michael Dorn, featuring the author Mark Ockrand. Mm. And the picture on the uh, on the album art is the Klingons from uh, Star Trek Three. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd and friends. Are. That's great. Thank you so much, Richard. I wonder who I... this Emily person is that's on the, <laughs> on the label. I had the book on book. When I was in uh, middle school, the learn language book for Klingon, yeah. and it was so difficult. I didn't hardly know how to speak English at that point. <laughs> and I'm trying to learn Klingon out of a book. The the audio book would have been so much easier. Yeah. And I didn't have a handkerchief. Another package from the South, Adam. This one's from Kathy in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There's there's a lot of ours in Murfreesboro. A lot a lot more ours than you would think. Are you feeling the love from the southern states? I am. States that we don't go on tour? Well, our, our buddy Ragusia just moved to Tennessee. My um, cousin Pete lives in Memphis? Maybe one day. Maybe next year. Who knows? Who knows? We also have live remote shows, like our recent one, to mm -hmm. uh, a Great success. Yeah. Un unvarnished, no complaint success. <laughs> Wow, Adam. So there's a card with a, uh, a beautiful likeness of the <laughs> two of us drawn, hand-drawn on it. Wow. They look like uh, Ren and Stimpy likenesses, you know? Yeah. They do have a bit of that to their art style. It goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, I discovered your pod when it came to Max Fun and became an FOD soon after. I'm among your legion of fans who watch the episodes again and again. Repeated viewing is rewarding to me because I love watching the show evolve over time. The impressions, the bits, the music. You guys had a drunk Shimoda at episode two. Amazing. In 2017, I backed the Indiegogo for DS9. As a reward, I received the enclosed pins. I'm giving them to you as a token of my gratitude for all the hours of laughs I've enjoyed thanks to the Uxbridge Shimoda family of pods. Your content helps keep me sane at work full stop. Because I work from home, my husband Gregory is being drawn in like a Previa in a tractor beam. The day that he asked what a drunk Shimoda is, I knew we had him. Gregory wow. is a professional artist, and he drew the caricatures on the front of this card. Obligatory plug, he's at Gregory's World of Woohoo on Facebook. <laughs> Hope these pins add something to your collection in spite of the poor likenesses. <laughs> And poor likenesses they are indeed, Adam. These are enamel pins of uh, all of the main characters of, uh, of DS9. And the O'Brien one in particular is very potato-faced, I would oh, say. Oh, yeah. And that's not a slur on the Irish. His head literally looks like a potato. He kind of <laughs> looks like a Vape King alien. Yeah. With, uh, with his weird uh, lip protuberance. 
He does, yeah. I think the Odo one might be my favorite. It's got that kind of Odo glower to it that really slaps. But these are great. They're very funny. <laughs> we'll enjoy whacking those up between the two of us. And thank you, Kathy, and, and thank you, Gregory, for the beautiful drawing of us. Thanks, you two. Another package here, Adam. This is from Cheeve and Kathy. Another Kathy, but this one with a K. Mm. They're from Somerville in Massachusetts, and this is a bigger manila envelope and uh, sort of heavy. I think this is some kind of printed material, but it's heavy. Got a piece of loose leaf here. Dear Adam and Ben, thought you might enjoy this collection of Moon Knight comics written by pulp noir novelist Charlie Houston. I like how he brought back a bunch of characters from the comics I read as a kid back in the 80s and 90s. Thanks for all the great pod, Cheev in Somerville. Wow, so uh, this is like a big paperback of Marvel's Moon Knight uh, comic. Oh, that's cool. Is it one of those graphic novels that's actually a lot of the comics put together, or is it its own thing? It says Omnibus, which makes me think probably, yeah, it is a bunch of comics put together. Oh, that's great. I used to read Moon Knight. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What's this in the back? Tax documents. There's a little folder in the back that says tax documents. It seems to be... See, that's how you're able to mail tax documents across state lines. You just sneak them into a comic book omnibus. It is stuck to the (laughs) (laughs) the back cover. I I don't want to know how it's stuck to the back cover. (laughs) What did you do, Chief? <laughs> what Chief has included in the back wow. are some some close-ups of horny stuff going on in Star Trek. The first one is the uh, unforgettable side-slung briefs guy from mm-hmm. Neelix's getaway. There's a photo of Q and Q doing finger stuff in the episode uh-huh. where Janeway solves the war in the Q continuum. There's a Kess with goo on her hands from the <laughs> back sack episode. Uh-huh. Shots of Neelix's feet. Yeah, that's great. I don't remember whose fingers these are, but some really gross fingers. Oh, uh, no. Doing something gross. Uh, yeah, finger stuff got, definitely belongs there. We got the feet of that guy that gets falsely accused of wearing <laughs> the gravity boots in Star Trek VI. Uh-huh. We've got two different shots of the back of Tuvix's head. That does not belong in the tax documents. What kind of sick fuck? Nobody jacks it to Tuvix's head. Ugh. The IRS would send that right back to you with interest. That is really funny. I was I was really trying to figure out why Chief sent us a Moon Knight comic, given that I don't think I've ever heard of Moon Knight before it became a TV show that I saw advertised uh-huh. everywhere and further that I don't think it's ever come up on the show. They I were like just that trying it was to just sneak a, you some tax documents. Just That's a all. pretext, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're getting into the bigger boxes here, Adam. This one is from Dan in Abbeville, Louisiana. It's to us. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Abbeville? Abbeville? I'm sure it's great and no one will be offended. I don't know, Adam. All right. There is an interior box in this box, taped together with some gaff tape, so you know this is a professional operation. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Always a good feeling to cut through some gaff tape. It says, use tape to lift on the underside of the lid, so (laughs) that's interesting. 
All right. Here is a letter. Dear Adam and Ben, I hope this finds you and your families well. I had intended to bring these to the Austin live show, but I had to cancel the trip. I found your show during a pretty rough patch. Shortly after the pandemic started, a pair of hurricanes wrecked our town and flooded our apartment. I started rewatching Star Trek, finding its optimism and occasional silliness to be a welcome salve in a world of bigotry, violence, and disease. After finding your show, I quickly decided to watch along from the beginning. By the time this reaches you, I should be fully caught up with Voyager. Thank you for all the laughs and for giving me a whole new vocabulary with which to process Star Trek. I also wanted to thank you for teaching me to love the turkeys. I know that you guys will spin gold out of even the cringiest eps. All the best, Dan, in Abbeville, Louisiana. Thanks, Dan. This is kind of a tall, skinny package, and there's lots of bubble wrap inside. <laughs> Dan has made piles of mashed potatoes with whisks in them. <laughs> Look at that. We've gotten our second set of mashed potato piles with whisks in them. Amazing. It looks like Dan found little miniature, like, yeah, commercially produced whisks. whisks to make these. They're amazing. And the um, the mash is, is made out of some kind of rubber material. Oh. So they're kind of... <laughs> kind of jiggly in a fun way (laughs) (laughs) i will add it to my growing collection of funny mashed potato props eventually we'll be touring and on the performance table it'll just be nothing but different (laughs) mashed potatoes and whisks (laughs) so also included at the bottom are cutaway pots these are shot partly away so that the mashed potato and whisk can sit there in the uh, in the remains like of a pot that's been phasered. Shot. So, Excellent. So there's one for each each pile. One for you, one for me, Adam. Wow. What a great thing. That rules. I love our growing collection of potatoes. <laughs> Did you ever think in a million years people would be giving us little models of our favorite thing from the best Star Trek movie? I, I just, I can't get over how funny that is. It's incredible. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. It's the best part of doing this dumb show. It really it's is. It's not even close. It, it just absolutely rolls. I'm just trying to picture, like, Dan probably heard the episode where we received the other yeah. mashed potato models, and yeah. I hope I hope wasn't disappointed or sad, because... I hope it's an inspiration to everyone. Yeah, yeah. If you have an idea for how to make a great little model of mashed potatoes with a whisk and a pot, do it. <laughs> Get to the workshop. Get in there. <laughs> Adam, this next one is from David and Miriam in Kew Gardens, New York. Kew Gardens, famously the uh, location of the courthouse I went when uh, I got arrested for uh, criminal trespassing on my first music video I directed. Do you think they still have what you what you carved into the mortar there in the cell you were kept in? We used a spoon. I was not kept in a cell there. I just had to appear there so that the judge mm-hmm. could tell me that my charges were dismissed. But all right, uh, here's the letter. Hey, Ben and Adam, I'm a children's book author slash illustrator who loves your show. Although... 
At first, I was a little embarrassed to listen to it. I finally shared it with my wife, and now we're both big fans. It helps that her name is Miriam, and she gets to hear it spoken by Adam in almost every episode. <laughs> anyway, when we heard Ben was going to be a dad, we just had to send you copies of some of my books. Reading with our kids has been one of the most special and cuddly experiences of parenthood, so here are some titles to start your library. Adam, a couple of my books are about dogs, so you can read to your pooch if the mood strikes you. Or maybe you know some kids. Ben, may the crumbly poop sleep of being a new dad soon turn back into a captain's log of wholesome rest. <laughs> Boy, they really know you with that description. I, uh... <laughs> I was texting Adam Ragusea the other day because he talked about paddling a kayak on the Tennessee River mm-hmm. at the end of a recent episode of his podcast. And I was like, that's just such a beautiful mental image. I love picturing my buddy the goose in a kayak on the Tennessee River. And he said, cool, my mental image of you is sleeping in the way of crumbly poop. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to share better stories about ourselves on the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh we have a great big pile of books here we've got tad and dad we've got interrupting chicken are these children's books yeah these are all children's books interrupting chicken and the elephant of surprise god your wife's gonna be so upset these are not star trek ones i feel like she thinks yeah? she'll think these are cool okay that's good interrupting chicken cookies for breakfast Hush, Little Bunny, Ice Boy, Don't Worry, Murray. Oh, these are the dog ones. Two copies of Don't Worry, Murray, so I guess you get one of those. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, take these it. are great. The illustrations are fun, and like it seems like David is able to work in lots of different styles because these are all very, very different looking, which is really cool. Thank you so much, David and Miriam. Wow, thanks a ton, guys. Hey, wave to that courthouse next time you see it. <laughs> Take a picture in front of it. It sounds like it's a real special place to be. <laughs> All right, Adam. Last package. Last one. Look at that thing. This is it's the big huge. one. It's from Jen and Josh in Fairbanks, Alaska. Wow. It came a long way. Sure did. Fairbanks. Have you been to Fairbanks? I've never been to Alaska. Oh, man. Alaska's big, but the places I've been are really cool. I went to Juneau and Anchorage, and they're... Both neat places. All right, Adam. We've got a little, uh, little greeting card here. I just want to go to uh, Anchorage and watch a bunch of planes take off and land. Oh, that's yeah. What I want to do. Just do that all day. This is a greeting card to a typewriter that says, I get you on the piece of paper. I recognize that card. Oh, really? That was one of the Maximum Fun Drive giveaways. Oh. Uh, from a couple years ago. Nice. Dear Ben and Adam, thank you so much for letting me hijack a P1 to propose to my boyfriend during your Portland show. Yeah! Right on. Your generosity and kindness are overshadowed only by how fucking funny you are. Viewing your podcasts are one of the highlights of our week. I hope you enjoy these thank you gifts. I've enclosed two of the best spirits coming out of Alaska. Alaska doesn't have a lot of people, so we don't always make great stuff. Alaska good versus actual good, if you will. <laughs> Ursa Major Aquavit and Juniper Gin. Uh, oh, and Juniper Gin. <laughs> I get it. Are actually good. Great even. Like the best Aquavit and gin I've ever had. Also includes uh, are a hangover drug, Dihydrum Marizaba. <laughs> 
Google it before you take it. Don't trust random people sending you pills. Finally mm. enclosed, two hot sauces. We have a Hot Ones hot sauce subscription, so we are overwhelmed with awesome oh. hot sauces, and everyone we like gets one whenever they'll take one. We love you guys. You make our lives better with your funny and your nice. We'll never forget that night in Portland. You made so special. Jen. Wow. I exchanged a bunch of emails with Jen to set that up, that P1 in Portland. That was so fun and cool to be a part of. And uh, it was especially cool that he said yes. <laughs> um, yeah, what a what a thrill that night was. What a cool thing to come all the way to Portland from from Alaska. Yeah. What a uh, cool thing to have a Hot Ones hot sauce subscription. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Jen has also included a recipe for an Aquavit slushy. Oh, that's right up our alleys right there. That's love a slushy. Really right in the numbers. So the hot sauces we got are Dawson's hot sauce and Stargazer hot sauce. Wow. Sound perfect for us. Um, hey, uh, you want to do a little dab? Do a yeah, little dab on the mic? Yeah, I'm going to do the Stargazer hot sauce on the mic because uh, yeah. do I then have to like answer a bunch of interview questions about my career or whatever? Yeah. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's the show with hot Star Trek questions and even hotter sauce. My childhood best friend was college roommates with the guy that invented hot ones. Really? Yeah. Sean? No. Like, Chris Sean Schoenberger. wasn't the inventor of it. Yeah. He just hosts it, right? Wow. Stargazer hot sauce is piquant. <laughs> is it your experience that the browner the sauce, the hotter it is? Because that sauce you just had a sample of, like, looked more brown than orange. Yeah, it's got some, it's got that smokiness of, like, a, there's some kind of, like, aged or smoked pepper in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that is what? scotch bonnet and ghost pepper hot sauce, my friend. Um, and you just you just poured you just took basically a key bump of it you just poured it onto your the webbing between your thumb and your pointer finger and just yeah. took it. Uh, so we got some Akavit. That's that's Akavit spelled A K A V I T. Yeah. Uh, for Alaska. Uh, these oh, are I I get it. The Ursa Major Distilling Company. Hey Ben, how do you drink Akavit? I think Akavit, like gin, is a essentially a vodka that has herbs infused mm-hmm. into it. So hmm. the Juno per gin. Whoa, that's from, a pretty bottle. It sure is. It's That's from Amalga Distillery. You know the I rules, mean, Ben. Got to take it to the dome. All right, I'm going to do the Akavit because I feel like it will... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, put out those flames. Stand the best chance of uh, knocking back some of the heat on my palate. Still feeling it, huh? Akavit, yeah, it's kind of uh, anise like. Oh, right. Kind of a flavor. There it goes. That's delicious. It's a, it's a little bit sweet. Hmm. That probably tastes really nice after that hot sauce. It's a, so this is distilled from cane sugar, which means it's got a rum as a base. Oh, that means uh, they should spell it A-H-K-A-V-I-T, <laughs> right? Um... Yeah, yeah. No, no one would do that. <laughs> mm, I don't think they would. Wow. <laughs> well, Jen, thank you so much, and congrats on uh, your impending, if not already completed, nuptials. 
And uh, thanks to everyone that sent stuff in. Adam, we've got a great big episode we need to get to today, and I've need, I need to uh, pause for a second to clean up my office and take a big swig of cold water. Wow. <laughs> All right. Let's so, uh, give you a moment to do that, and then when we come back, we will be discussing Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 11, Concerning Flight. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. It's the triumphant return of... Jonathan Rhys Davies to the show. Yeah, indeed. Happy to see his Leonardo da Vinci character is back among his house of jack-off machines. He is pissed, though. Yeah. There's a crowd outside yelling up toward his window. Animals, he calls them. No, Leonardo, you are the animal. And they're yelling because his flying machine was a total fraud. He solicited investments from uh, <laughs> from normal people with a Super Bowl ad that was considered very predatory in retrospect. <laughs> Fortune favors the flying machine, <laughs> is what it said at the end. Yeah. And this piece of shit glider wouldn't fly. It was apparently a thing that Janeway and Leonardo da Vinci were in when it crashed off of a bridge and into the Arno River below. Yeah. Yeah, they're both soaking wet. <laughs> Sounds great. You know, like how like masturbation is often like the the on the cutting edge of technology. So he he was trying to take all of this I do jack, know that yeah. jack off technology that he developed and use it for other you know more mainstream things. <laughs> I was wet before I hit the river, Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> he is really disappointed in how this all has gone down, and thinks maybe. Uh, Maybe his buddy Leroy out there in France would be a better uh, person to uh, get patronized by. King of France is a great admirer of mine. The divine Leonardo is all I hear when I walk through his streets. This is an interesting conversation they're having because, I mean, for one, Janeway's soaking wet. But for two, Janeway is in the position of having to kind of patch together someone's broken confidence. Yeah. Leonardo's like, it fucking sucks here. I try to do good and important and challenging work, but I just, I fail on a stage in front of people who hate me, who don't understand what I'm trying to do, yeah. who don't appreciate that I'm taking risks in order to do it. And like, no wonder I've got the, all these Miriam projects on the back burner that I don't necessarily have the energy to begin. Yeah. Like when you're humiliated, who wants to even try? And Janeway's like, Leo, let me just put it to you this way. If you go to France, people will be like, Moving your workshop to France is a war crime. You want to work for the king? He makes the Huguenot go south and sell them into slavery. He taxed the nobility to prosecute his futile wars. He is a terrible person. We will cut his head off in a few centuries. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if the Huguenots were getting fucked with in uh, the Renaissance. <laughs> Probably not, right? I really couldn't say. I'm no student of history, Adam. I'm a student of Star Trek. Hey, can I ask a quick a quick question? Hmm. In the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song, mm -hmm. what is Leo in that song? Leonardo leads. Donatello does machines. Uh-huh. Michelangelo is the party dude. Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo is a party dude. So... I thought maybe Leo in that song would be like, Leo likes to jack off. <laughs> but there is no, like, Leonardo da Vinci did not inspire Leo, the TMNT. No. I mean, he's a, he was a great swordsman, but uh, other right. than that. All right. 
Looks good in blue. Well, that theory didn't hold together. I'm glad we interrogated that, though. Me too. I thought it was interesting that LDV can feel bangers when they get dropped on the ship. I thought so too, right? Not unlike Moriarty, I would say. Right. But I feel like Moriarty could feel the bangers because he was causing them. Yeah. I always thought that, that as long as you were inside a holodeck or a hollow suite, you wouldn't you wouldn't feel the pitches and rolls of the Voyager. Yeah. But uh, but he sure does, and uh, he mm-hmm. interprets them as earthquakes. Yeah. When we come back from the opening credits, Voyager is getting harassed by little tiny starships that are shooting little little bursts of light at their shield. But then they start shooting these rays that are kind of like, they kind of look like what a tractor beam is often styled to look like. Do you feel like Janeway should have still been wet when she arrived at the bridge? <laughs> yeah, she took her time getting there, I guess. Change, yeah. change of uniform, dried her hair. She's totally put together. Yeah. No hair continuity on this one. Wow. I mean, she had like a minute and a half while the credits were rolling, so yeah. maybe that was enough time. It takes us longer to do our hair, yeah. tell you that much, true. especially if it's show night. That's very true. Down in engineering, we watch a computer disappear right out from under BLT's nose, and she reports up to the bridge that the warp diagnostic assembly has been lost. What do you mean lost? It disappeared. Well, stuff from all over the ship is disappearing, too. We're cutting around in a bunch of places. Yeah. What, what you don't see is the mess hall. Nothing appears to be stolen from Neelix's <laughs> kitchen, which is a real shame. Yeah. No one wants any of that stuff. But they do get... Uh, bunch of cargo and computer equipment and the mobile emitter and a bunch of other stuff. And Do you think Seven reads as a person for the purposes of the story? Like, do you mm. think there was ever a working theory that, like, what if Seven were one of the things that got taken in this job or her alcove or something? Right. But this is kind of a pre-eye trauma era of Star Trek, so maybe they don't sure want is. to pull Borg's parts out of her. No. No, that would be bad. These things that are disappearing are causing problems. Like the Harry's, it's very funny, like Harry's station, the lights are flashing and everything like looks really fucked up. But then in wide shots of the bridge, nothing else is flashing. Yeah. <laughs> like Ops is going absolutely crazy, but nothing else is. He looks at the nest cam in his room and his clarinet's <laughs> gone. He's like, why are they just going after my stuff? <laughs> They shoot one of these ships and it blows up. And I was like, man, I wonder what stuff that was stolen was on that ship specifically. (laughs) Do they have any way of knowing? It just explodes in a mass of broken bamboo reeds and that little (laughs) cloth and weight string you're supposed to use for cleaning out the inside of a clarinet. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Tuva, God. Damn it! <laughs> they really kind of fire blind because they don't really have any working systems. They read down the list. What do they even have? If they yeah. don't have weapons or propulsion or navigation or the computer. I've always believed that the mind is the best weapon. It's amazing they're still breathing. Hitting this one guy causes the rest of them to break off the attack and get out of there. Tom comments that it feels feels like they just got mugged. Am I making any sense here? These are interstellar stick-up kids that they just ran across. Yeah. What an interesting idea. I can't believe we've never encountered an idea like this in Star Trek, like people that just go steal some shit and then bug out. Great effort, effort to bring you 
Here. The, the smash and grab. I like it. These ships just walked into a Ross, <laughs> filled up a bunch of shopping bags, and then just walked out. And even though like property crime is just a vanishingly small slice of the overall crime in the U.S., and almost no payroll crimes are ever prosecuted, wage theft yeah. being more than half of all crime in America, the news will have you believe that bandits stealing stuff from starships is like the main problem in society right now. Yeah. It's fucking it's really propaganda, not. man. Yeah. I was waiting for everything to just slow down, weren't you? Like, without a computer core, I was like, great, shit's going to be malfunctioning all over the place, and that's going to be a major thrust of this episode, right? Doors opening slowly, (laughs) computers not computing, like there being a real tax on the system and work being done on the ship. Yeah, No one experiences anything close to that for the entire episode, it feels like. Well, almost no one. They do have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And they get on FaceTime with the doctor and he's like, I don't know how to do anything. I'm so sad. (laughs) I'm so sad in Six Bay. (laughs) He's stuck there. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You'll live there and you'll like it. You were just fine there for the first couple of seasons. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Excuse me. Harry is given the task of figuring out a way to track these guys. So he goes down to uh, the... Uh, Astrometrics. At, you know what? how to say it. I was going to call it stellar cartography, but you're right. It's it's the Astrometrics lab. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why am I talking like I'm wearing a retainer? <laughs> Astrometric oh, lab. I really regret doing that hot sauce, man. Still feeling it, huh? Yeah. Uh, you took a pretty big dab, dude. Yeah. You poured like a nickel-sized yeah. pool of hot sauce on your... Does your finger hurt? No. Your, does your good. hand hurt where you poured it? No, that's fine. Hey, you're going to want to make sure you don't touch that part of your hand to uh, your hose. Or- <laughs> <laughs> your hose or anyone else's hose. Yeah. Uh, that, well, that's why the back of the hand is a good... Uh, is a good, oh, yeah, you're not- you know, test candidate for a substance like that. Hey, Adam, speaking of people being spicy, Seven of Nine <laughs> is none too pleased that Harry is entering her workspace. Hey, you know what I would be upset about? Anyone talking to me this close. <laughs> Kim is three inches from Seven's nose. Yeah. For a good part of this conversation. It looked like he was like trying to slide b- behind her, but I don't think that there's anything for him to be sliding in between her and. Like, there's no yeah. reason for him to have walked this close. No. Yeah, which kind of makes me wonder if there's still a crush happening there. Yeah. She thinks about uh, bowling pinning him again, but there isn't a security guy behind him to also knock over, so she decides yeah. not to. Not worth it if she can't get two for one. Yeah. She is the unwilling recipient of some advice that he has to give about how to live and work with people. You've got to learn how to phrase things a little more diplomatically. And she isn't trying to hear that. She is like, if you've got time to give advice, you've got time to clean. And she's been working on this for hours. Like, he's coming down like some Johnny-come-lately with orders from the captain to find the planet where all their technology went. And she's like, (laughs) I'm way ahead of you. Yeah, I'm on her side for sure. Fuck off, Kim. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. 
Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. Chummy. Chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. So they pull up to this planet, and this planet is very dusty looking from space, but they're talking about it being kind of a busy place commerce-wise. There's lots of different types of aliens in orbit and on the surface, and there's cities all over the place, and people sell all kinds of stuff here. It's taken 10 days to get here. Yeah. It seems like a long time. It's an elliptical edit, for sure. It's like they had air tags on all their shit, and they followed it all to like one trap house, <laughs> except they have no backup and no weapons and no defenses. At yeah. what point did you think that this was a terrible idea? Because for me, it was right here. There seems to be lots and lots of aliens here, and they never even discuss like, is there like a central authority that we could appeal to right, or anything yeah. like that? It they never be- go for justice. They they just go for undercover away team justice. Yeah. So there's, they're picking up Federation signatures on a couple of different continents. So they're going to split up two different away teams, go undercover to, to find their shit. They discuss getting the computer processor back and the emergency rations. Really? Yeah. Gotta that's, have those. That's the priority? Not the mobile emitter? Not the guns? It's never even brought up. What the fuck? Got to keep those rations out of enemy hands. Yeah, the rations. That's the most important thing. Yeah. So uh, we get an establishing shot of this planet. It's uh, it's planet Southern California again. Yeah. Sure is. We're in a one of our classic Star Trek indoor-outdoor bizarre alien bazaars. I love the sequence of going like, then it is agreed. We will go undercover. And then we cut to the planet surface and undercover just means a clothing change. Yeah. <laughs> Give Tuvok a mustache. Give the captain a beagle puss. Anything. Choosing not to have fun with this. Bad choice. Yeah. Don't like it. So they're scanning around. They're not getting a lot of usable information. They're Starfleet signatures, but they're not able to localize them. But then who should walk in? but Leonardo da Vinci from the holodeck program. Katrina! Que maravilla! Out of my way! Out of my way! This is one of many scenes when LDV is just yelling his fool head off from across a town square. (laughs) He has no chill at all. Yeah. Not under the impression that it would be a good idea to slow his roll. Yeah. He's wearing the mobile emitter, and he believes that he has come to America. Right. This must be what America is like. I mean, it's it's capitalism writ large. <laughs> I guess it is, yeah. So yeah, he I, like he doesn't totally understand it. He thinks that um, he must have been like bonked on the head by some Spaniards and taken here or something. But with his hat and his robes, he kind of blends in with the locals. Yeah, his Santa Claus looking ass. Yeah. And they believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> I already have a job lined up at the local mall this December. And rusty trombone for my grandpa. Rusty trombone for your grandpa, huh? Yep. He mentions this prince of the city that he's working for, and that really gets your attention. Who the hell is this prince that's yeah. using LDV like this? Yeah. He's been here five minutes. He's already got a patron. Yeah, and he like spots a guy uh, across the way and he's like, oh, I, I want to buy that plasma injector conduit with 
for some reason, this money that I have after being here for 10 days. He really hit the ground running, didn't he? He sure did. I mean, I guess his patron must have given him some uh, some folded money, some wham, as it were. I mean, the crew has been going on away missions and being unable to figure out how currency works for the entire series. Yeah. And LDV gets on scene and he like he just gets it. He's he gets used it to it. He's used to working with currency. He comes from a currency-based society. That's right. That's why. Yeah. That's why. So he's just a pig in shit. There are so many times in this episode, though, where I was like, what they should do is turn off the mobile emitter, put it in their mm-hmm. pocket, and then go find the rest of their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the mobile emitter, you know, the priceless object of which there is only one. <laughs> this episode over and over again finds a way to explain that away. Like, yeah. But it's always after. It entered my head so many times, like, turn it, turn it off, grab it, and walk. The suggestion that LDV is in any way more useful to them or their mission than a functional doctor who can go anywhere <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> but there's a scene where, like, Tuvok and Janeway get into a little bit of argument about that very thing. Right. Like, she really believes in his utility in a way that he can't possibly understand. Yeah, so he's like going You'll never the- know what happens during these programs, Tuvok. <laughs> the door locks from the inside. This bodice may not be ripped now, but just you wait. <laughs> LDV is off buying something after telling them that the prince is as ruthless as a, as a Borgia, and Tuvok quickly sets his phaser to a rotating frequency setting, just in case. Mm. Yeah. And Da Vinci takes them to uh, his workshop, which is kind of the future mad scientist version of the workshop he has in the holodeck on Voyager. He's totally psyched about this. And why wouldn't he? Yeah. The old place was a fucking dump. And this place is cool as hell. He even has a dustbuster just laying around on the table. Yeah. That's neat. Check it out, man. Anything you guys want, we got. Anything you want to do. Another moment when I thought it would have been smart to just turn him off because, like, Janeway picks up the dustbuster and he's like, no, 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 don't touch that. And it's like, yeah, don't touch it. It's mine. <laughs> Let me demonstrate on this giant pot of mashed potatoes. <laughs> that's when the alarm goes off and uh, they all get arrested and uh, that's the end of the episode. Did someone fire off a phaser? Yeah, Tao tells them you can't fire an unauthorized phaser. In a lab. In an alien arms dealer's research and yeah. development lab. <laughs> back on Voyager, Neelix and Paris are back from their portion of the mission that we don't see. We only see the aftermath, which is the dope on the table portion of their investigation. <laughs> we put a lot of fucking dope on the table. A lot of it. And not only is there dope on the table, there's dope on this guy's body because the guy they brought there is wearing a uniform yeah. under his clothes. It's so cool. I, yeah, he's got some other baldricks or something yeah. over it. But yeah, he, he decided that a Starfleet uniform was a Luke he wanted to adopt. And uh, <laughs> I love it. They want him to like roll, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like, give up whoever you, you copped from and we'll let you go. And uh, He's like, yeah. am I under arrest here? And they're like, no. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, peace. Yeah. He's like, lawyer, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he he does wind up rolling, giving up the name of Tao, who uh, is the guy that jacked them for all their stuff. Yeah. And for this, they let him go with the fucking phaser rifle. They've been so protective of these things. 
I don't understand this decision. I don't either. And it's obvious that these are like way better phaser rifles than are available here because oh, yeah. you, you keep seeing people carrying them. But at the same time, if Tao let a dustbuster go to LDV's workshop and just hang out there, maybe it isn't an item of great worth. Maybe yeah. it is a thing that they have uh, comparable versions of to where its value would be you know, just average. The cat is out and of not the bag after. being the logic. Like they, like yeah. if they've got it, they've been able to scan it. They have transporter records of it. They can rebuild them. Right. I mean, the other thing I thought was maybe they beam him back down and do that thing that disables the weapon in transport. Oh yeah. He'd be so pissed about that. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. On the surface, we finally meet Tao. Yeah. And he's doing some real salesman shit with a dude who looks like he's in Slipknot. <laughs> I feel like more aliens should look like they're in Slipknot. That would yeah. really work. Yeah. It's good stuff. He's a shrewd businessman. He doesn't take lowball offers for what he sells. He's, he sells really good weapons. Yeah. And uh, he's telling this guy like, yeah, you've got a lot of belligerent species in, in the sector you come from. Uh, it'd be a shame if I had to sell all these dangerous weapons to those guys. Yeah. You don't want that, do you? Yeah. It's the hard sell is what it is. I think you'll pay my price. You don't want me to sell it to them. Someone like me would sure, would sure as shit buy all that stuff. This was like in the same courtyard as before, Mm -hmm. but it's at night and it sort of seems like it's a party almost. Yeah. What's going on there? I don't know. Like it it feels like they're trying, maybe trying to sell it as not being the same courtyard, but it super is because it has the same like big green set piece in the background and stuff. I mean, the similarities don't end there. We get another scene of LDV yelling at them from across the entire courtyard. Yeah, yeah. So their presence seems to be acceptable. Uh-huh. He want, he really wants them to meet somebody. And uh, so Tuvok is sent on a mission of distracting LDV by making small talk. Vulcans do not make small talk. Improvise. What Tuvok decides to do is just gas this dude up. Tell him, tell him how impressive and smart he seems to be. You are most intriguing. I thought for sure Janeway would be like, go distract LDV with small talk and we'll <laughs> never see what that's like. But sure as shit, the camera <laughs> follows Tuvok and LDV for like several minutes doing this. Yeah. It drove me nuts. There are several cultures who actually prefer that their body temperature is identical to the temperature of the room in which they are standing. Tuvok. <laughs> Tells LDV that he's from Scandinavia. Yeah. And LDV describes his experiences in this new world. We learn nothing here. It's nothing. I'm like, finally, <laughs> we're getting Janeway kind of seducing Tao. Yeah. Into she's... giving her a demo of this computer he's selling. Enjoying yourself? Not yet. She's posing as like a purchasing agent for a colony that needs a powerful computer. And he's like, well, I just happen to have something like that and he starts talking to that green thing on the wall and it's got major barrett computer voice he slaps the hood at the computer and he's like this thing really computes (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy that there's like no demonstration of computing power it's basically the click on the apple symbol and then click about this computer (laughs) (laughs) the voice simulation it's Perfection. I wondered if somebody that was smarter about like processing power could decipher this and and tell us whether this is an actually impressive computer or not. Because like, oh, it is. Yeah. Let me, so the computer says in this scene that it's 
capable of transluminal processing at 575 trillion calculations per nanosecond. Interested. So if you do the equivalency there, it's 575 zeta flops, wow. or about nine quadrillion times the processing power of the 300 megahertz Pentium 2 processor, which was the fastest desktop processor of the time of this episode. Man, that's cool. I wonder if they like Miller's Law that like figured out what the computers of this time would be capable of just based on the trajectory of increasing computer power. They did, Ben. Really? Because under Moore's Law... Oh, Moore's Law, not Miller's. God fucking damn it! I'm going to get so much shit from the nerds online for that. This computational power would take only 65 years to be achievable in the real world because Moore's Law is about doubling processor power every 18 months. Yeah. By the way, has that held true? Are we still doubling every 18 months? I feel like they hit a wall uh, about 10 years ago and it's not anymore. It's not a thing. I mean, it's still getting better. I mean, isn't it? Look around. It's getting better all the time. Yeah. Look at how great it is. <laughs> As each day is better than the next. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording this in June. It's going to come out in August. By the time this comes out, the world will be even better than it is now. We both may have the new computers that we've been, that have been <laughs> on back order for like several months. <laughs> But the good news is my computer's no longer smoking. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. It's probably something that Moore did. It doesn't seem like Janeway's willing to trade a warship for this. Too high a price. But here's a question. What is Tao's definition of warship? Because you take a look at those little guys, those pipsqueak ships that yeah. shot them up and transported all the stuff off of them earlier. Those didn't seem that great. Is a Brat-style shuttle a warship to them? Like, because it has a warp drive and it's got armaments? I mean... Like, would a shuttlecraft do it, is my question. And would she consider that trade? Uh, the problem is that the Brat is so affordable. Just tell them it saves you money, buster. Right. Yeah, its street value isn't high enough. Yeah, yeah. So she's going to see if she can come up with or equivalent... <laughs> Uh-huh. And uh, she heads back to Da Vinci's lab where Tuvok is hanging out. And they're talking about where this computer could be kept because it's not, it was like remote that he was accessing it. So it must be somewhere in the vicinity of the town that they're in, but it's not right here. And uh, Da Vinci has drawn up a bunch of like hand-drawn maps of the area And Tuvok is super impressed with these. These maps couldn't be improved upon by Voyager's topographical computer. It's crazy. Like the camera starts facing Tuvok and then it kind of floats around so you you can see what's been drawn there. Yeah. And you guessed it, Ben. It's dick butt. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, maybe that's why your flying machines don't get in the air. Indeed. LDB. Yeah. You're too involved in uh, making masturbation machines and drawing dick butts everywhere. Hey, LDV, how are you going to get into the sky when you can't get your mind out of the gutter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tuvok does a really fun thing is he just kind of turns LDV to pause by hitting his little hollow emitter. He, He needs to have a private conversation with Janeway here. And Tuvok's like, look, we both need to go up to the ship. 
We need to get these maps scanned. We need to get these dick butts scanned. <laughs> and uh, some sort of combination between the dick butt pictures and the tricorder measurements are going to allow us to find where the computer is right. actually. And Janeway's like, that sounds like a one-person job. Why don't you beam up to the ship with the dick butts and the tricorder and leave me down here with LDV? He's one of the greatest creative minds in Earth's history. Tuvok agrees to this, calls up to the ship and beams up. And he's got the look on his face of, this is a bunch of fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're the captain. I mean, LDV has a look of what the hell just happened when he gets his button pushed again and Tuvok's just straight gone. Where'd that guy with the ear go? Where did my dick butt pictures go? <laughs> I just saw them here, Katarina. <laughs> There's coffee in your beautiful painting. The question on everyone's mind at this point in the episode, something that I've been distracted by from the start, is how the doctor's doing. Yeah, how's he how feeling? How is he doing being trapped in Six Bay? Well, the answer is not good because when Seven's in there getting like routine maintenance, he's like, you got to tell me about what happened in the mess hall. Spill the tea, Seven. He is aching to know what happened there. Seven has the most tea, but she's also the person that is least excited about spilling the tea. She's not impressed with her own tea at all. She has high tea. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a big deal, Doc. Seven had a fight with BLT. And BLT called her a bunch of bad names that uh, Seven, I guess, will translate if Doc really needs that to get up over the top, which he clearly does. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty ugly, right? Bolana used the A word to refer to Seven. Yikes. Don't like uh, that. I'm I'm surprised that one or both of them are not on biobeds, you know, in traction after this fight. I thought they were getting along. I know. What happened? Come back whenever you feel like talking. I'll be right here, all by myself. Tuvok calls her down to Astrometrics, and they work on scanning in these maps, and then they're kind of, they're doing like the Google Earth. I mean, I feel like we didn't know Google Earth at this time, but like the, the satellite imagery of the buildings and zooming in on where the thing is was a cool image at the time. Pretty neat. Yeah. I like this room. Kind of feels like we're going to be here a bunch in these seasons ahead. Yeah. Like, this is a big build-out. They, they they built a whole new set. Mm-hmm. This ain't going away. They, they spent two episodes with Harry and Seven building this thing. They're not going to not use it. Did it look to you like there was, like, a Borg's wall hanging on the <laughs> wall? There's some weird, uh, just like a little stripe of HR Geeker going up yeah. the wall. Go ahead and decorate it with some personal items, Seven. I mean, they yeah. said, right, that it's like a, a merger of Federation and Borg's technology. Yeah. So just a so dab would, of that makes sense, I guess. It would. Yeah. So they figure out what building the computer's processor is in. Seven probably really appreciates the uh, normal distance Tuvok stands in order to do the work that they need to do together. She finds it logical. Yeah. He's not pushing up on that ass. Right. This is a problem, though, because they draw a circle around the building where the computer core is in, but there's some sort of scattering field around it that makes it so that no one can beam in or out. Yeah. So what do they what do they do about this? It turns out that like Janeway needs to be the one to get inside 
the building and then set the computer to overload so that they can uh, lock onto it with a transporter. They're radioing this down to her that this is going to be a boots on the ground operation. And she's receiving this when Tao like walks into the room and is like, I overheard everything. (laughs) You got to do better than this, Janeway. Yeah, make sure that the door is locked to the lab before you transmit code up to your ship. (laughs) Yeah. And Tao is really taking great umbrage with this whole scene. It's like, I I thought I could trust you, LDV. I financed this whole operation. Yeah. But LDV walks up behind him with like a fire extinguisher and bonks him on the head. You hit someone on the head with a fire extinguisher, they die. Yeah. She like checks his pulse at his neck and she's like, he's going to be fine. As long as no one touches the back of his head, which has been completely shattered. (laughs) It seems like plausibly he would survive this. <laughs> you weren't there, LDV, but DeJaren did something very similar to all the members of his crew in that episode a few <laughs> times ago when that hollow man was bonking people with a hammer. A hammer, a smaller and less lethal item than a fire extinguisher. <laughs> he does not want to go with her. He's like, look, I mean, I'm just going to, Take your word for it, I did not kill this person on the ground, but he is also the person who's bankrolled this entire operation. Kind of feel like this is a better place for me than where I came from. So you got to leave me. It's another one of those moments where I was like, there is a justification in this episode for why she needs him to take her to the facility Mm -hmm. and show her a way in, but none of that is revealed until later. And so I'm just sitting here watching it going like, Why are you arguing with the fucking character from your novel? Turn him off, get the fucking emitter, and go to the place. Yeah. It was a very frustrating experience because I was like, like the episode kept justifying this shit retroactively after I spent like five minutes yelling at the TV about it. If you can just put a person in your pocket instead (laughs) of having an argument with them, you do it every time. Especially when the person isn't a person. Especially when you're the captain. (laughs) So she finally like talks him into it, gets him like emotionally on her side. For you, Katarina. For you, I will go. They're going to go do the raid or whatever. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's very, very silly. And uh, the only way that they can track what's going on from the ship is for some reason the hollow emitter. Did Janeway not take her com badge back from Tau? Yeah, Tao ripped it off of her chest and then, I guess, fell on it. Or maybe what I think happened is Tao had the com badge in his hand and then he was touching the back of his head when Leonardo da Vinci smashed his skull with that fire extinguisher and then it just broke. Is Tao's species a kind of marsupial where they have a little pocket on the back of their head where they keep their young and he put the the communicator in there for safekeeping? Yeah, he head keistered it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. I think it's weird you never see the back of Tao's head, right? We could yeah. have seen the head keister. That would have been nice, yeah. You know what? This is a family program, though. Right. But it would also have like gone some way toward like, Janeway could have put her hand... Oh, unfortunately, my communicator's destroyed, but fortunately, it blunted the blow from the... <laughs> That's right. It saved his life. It saved his life. It's like it's like the Bible in the breast pocket that stops a bullet in a western. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, 
So they go to this facility, they sneak around, they find the door because it's like in the shady part of the building. Can I just say I love this field trip for the show? Like I love going to an industrial refinery area and like, and wandering around here. This is big fun. It is big fun. It's very cool. And they do a good job. Like they did a little digital effect to make it look like there was some kind of weird windmill at the top of the building. I love it how Janeway's like, we'll never find the door. How would we even know where to look? And LDV is like, well, it's very difficult to shoot in this mixed light atmosphere. I think we, sh- <laughs> I think the best place we can go is a, a place where we can control the light and shadow. Yeah, yeah. For instance, that door over there. So in they go. They're sneaking around. Way to help out production, Leonardo yeah. da Vinci. Yeah. Uh, all of Tao's guards are indistinguishable from Tao, and there are a lot of them. They're walking yeah. around with rifles. They get to the heart of this building, and they find just like a treasure trove. They find everything. I was like, oh, man, what they got to do is shut off this scattering field and do to Tao what Tao did to them. Yep. Get ev- get all of this shit out of there. That's what I thought. And take Tao's shit, too, while they're at it. Yeah, take all of it. Take everything Take the whole got. building. Fuck Tao. Yeah. Beam the building into space- and haul it away with a tractor beam. Those little pipsqueak ships are going to think twice before <laughs> shooting on Voyager when they see a giant warehouse being dragged into space. <laughs> so on the ship, they detect the power surge. The captain gets the processor going. But the Tau bad guys start shooting at them in the warehouse. And so they've got to like duck and they're not in the confinement beam when the processor beams up. I must have an explanation. And this is when LDV starts having a real like existential crisis because he sees one of these phaser beams like go right through him because he's a hollow and he's like starting to do the math on maybe I'm not real, maybe I'm a spirit or something. He's shooting through you. Where did he go? He's right behind you. Gateway hit him in the back of the head where he keeps his little marsupial pouch. (laughs) This really melts LDV's mind. He is not a great partner on this mission henceforth. Again, would be a great opportunity to turn him off and use the site, site transporter to get out of there. If he could be a plausible human shield, you could see the utility for him. He's a large mass. Yeah. He could block a weapons fire ideally, but because he's just a hollow man, because he's a hollow man, Tin man. he's not blocking shit. She leaves her tricorder behind in using the site-to-site transporter to get them out of there. Another piece of material that I just would not leave in the hands of somebody like Tao. Is this a bad Janeway episode? I think it kind of is. I feel like there's a long list here. Up on the ship, right after LDV and Janeway get out of the warehouse, Kim reports that 13 of these little gnat ships are coming up from the surface to attack them. So it's really starting to get touch and go here. And the captain and Da Vinci are like walking around in Runyon Canyon or something. Mm-hmm. LDV is an old man, though. Like, yeah. this doesn't look easy for him. And he's wearing those thick robes. Look, lady, get off my back. I'm an old man. What's harder, Brock Peters in the desert or LDV oh, in Runyon Canyon? I mean, the desert the robes. has got to be worse, but at least Brock Peters wasn't wearing robe on robe. Yeah, Jonathan Rhys-Davies is in like a burlap sack with a corduroy sack on top of it. There's no measurable amount of powder that could overcome the sheer number of robes that 
LDB is wearing in this environment. And the like glued on beard and wig. Uh, he must have been miserable. At least Brock Peters didn't have that. Wow. Yeah. You know what? I think you've convinced me. Brock Peters had it easy out in the <laughs> desert. That's what you're trying to say? Yeah, I guess I guess that's the case I'm trying to make here. I don't know what season this was shot in. Yeah. They don't look that sweaty. Maybe it was a nice day. Yeah, maybe it was winter for spring. Again, Janeway has to like convince Da Vinci to get on board with the plan. And the way she does that is by convincing him of the limits of his own mind. Yeah. He's got the mind of a sparrow, Adam. <laughs> Perhaps one day my people will travel above the skies. The magic trick of this moment is that LDV isn't insulted by the story <laughs> that Janeway tells. <laughs> <laughs> Try to imagine me spitting ground up worms into your mouth because I mean, that's how you eat. If by magic trick you mean like it's the kind of thing of like look at my thumb coming away from the yeah. joint <laughs> kind of magic trick, like that's what we're talking about here. Was Leonardo da Vinci historically known as someone with the sort of intelligence that was like very specific in that he can draw amazing things and make flying machines but what was like dumb in every other aspect of his life <laughs> right. yeah he, he sucked at excel you know right. <laughs> couldn't keep a calendar to save his life we're still uncovering all the dick butts <laughs> that ldv drew yeah in the course of his life i mean that's probably why uh Bill Gates bought his his notebook so that he could right. conceal all the dick butts from the public's knowledge. <laughs> it sucked. Do it. 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 So this is good enough to get LDV to keep moving. Finally. And up on the ship, BLT tells Chakotay that like everything's been patched back in. I think all of our systems are five by five at this point. Yeah. And so the deal is they need to bring the ship in range to do the transport. They're doing this while they're under attack by these 13 attack ships. Voyager never seems to return fire in this entire sequence. Why? Why? What's the upside it of not returning justified. fire? Yeah. They're being attacked. They're being shot at. Defend yeah. yourself. They're trying to block their access to their captain. And like... You can't beam somebody up if your shields are up, so eliminate the threat so that you can drop your shields to do the transport. Maybe not a good Chakotay episode either. Maybe, Adam. It's just not a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> so when Janeway and LDV make their way toward the summit of this hill that they've been climbing, uh, they find a great bird, a great mm. model bird, a yeah. hang glider, really. Yeah. And its wings are in the shape of two dick butts. <laughs> You've made some improvements. The aerodynamics of the dick butt is certain to yeah. lift this craft off the ground. Janeway is not wildly confident in this thing initially, but she does kind of a walk around and goes down a checklist and becomes confident that it's actually worth a shot. It's at least better than getting murdered by these bad guys that are shooting rifles at them. Kate Mulgrew's takes here throughout are one of a person playing a character who is just delighted at being around a hero figure. Yeah. And so when they arrive at this glider, she seems like enthusiastic about taking the ride because she's a fan. 
It's yeah. almost as if the the mission has just fallen away in terms of priority. I wonder if they thought about trying to show them crashing off the bridge, like <laughs> yeah, at the beginning, because because I feel like this would have felt a lot more high stakes if we'd seen them eating shit the first time they tried one of his machines. Well. I think when we see this machine actually fly, that is the reason we don't want to see it fly ever <laughs> at any other point. They roll down the hill and go off like a, a ramp and it's some real like bed knobs and broomsticks flying effects. The reason the effect doesn't work is because it's too fast. This glider shouldn't be going as fast as it does. It really moves. I think if they slowed it down, it would be plausible. Yeah. Tao and his henchmen watch in awe with their jaws on the floor. Yeah, because they've never seen anything fly. I guess not. And uh, so Kim is able to beam the whole kitten caboodle up into the cargo bay. <laughs> Tao looks up at the glider and he's like, that stupid son of a bitch did it. <laughs> I, he was in that workshop drawing nothing but dick butts. Look at that guy. He did it. Wow. Respect. I mean, <laughs> game recognized game. I don't even have the heart to shoot him. There goes a real one right there. <laughs> <laughs> Janeway's so happy. Yeah. She's at, having a great time. Riding shotgun on this thing, right? She is. The button on the episode is uh, they got most of their stuff back and Janeway goes and visits Da Vinci in his workshop and he's Packing his shit, he he's really done with Florence. And after his great experiences in the new world, he's ready to move to France. He's going to go hang out with Leroy. See if he can't build a mechanical woman who lives in a box. Kibilla! <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. Everyone likes that. Everyone. Damn. So is this the end of this character? Is he Audi 5000 for real? I feel like when the captain walks you out, that's... The suggestion. It's pretty definitive, right? Yeah. If he just went and went to France, I'd be like, all right, well, he thinks he's <laughs> leaving Janeway, but right. this holodeck program is going to follow him around wherever he goes. Yeah. Or she could just like rewind it a little bit and start over where he doesn't get beamed down to a mm -hmm. weird planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Feels like the end. I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss that stupid son of a bitch. Yeah. There goes a real one, Adam. Did you like this episode? I think you could have fixed this episode by having the entire thing, and by that I mean including the Voyager stuff, be contained within the program. Yeah. Because there are so many strange decisions that Janeway makes as captain that seem loaded up with a spirit of adventure feeling instead of a serious captain doing captain work trying to recover a bunch of shit that her crew needs to survive. Right. Like, when you list off the things that have gone missing, it's a mission-killing, almost extinction-level event for the crew to lose all this stuff. And yet, it's never treated with that amount of seriousness. Like, they are basically dead in the water without the shit they need to survive and make it home. And no one really puts it in those terms. It's just like, well, we had a bad breakup, and now all my clothes are out on the lawn, and we've <laughs> got to go pick it up. Yeah. It's like that amount of seriousness it's loaded up with. And I feel like a non-serious episode, great. G give me one of those a season like we usually do. But contain it. 
in a way, contain it in the holodeck universe. And that it was uncontained, I think, really weakened the episode as it was. Like, I like seeing Janeway happy doing her LDV shit, but it lessened her as a captain. Yeah. To be in it for the thrill over all of the other concerns. What about you? I think that this episode is just a mess because a lot of the crucial information is out of order with the decisions being acted on with that information. Yeah. So the characters like look dumb and then you retroactively go like, oh, well, I guess if that's true, that's not like that dumb a decision. But you can get away with that maybe once in an episode where you like retroactively justify something that seemed dumb at the time. Like this episode is just riddled with shit like that. And I think it just needed to like be kind of reordered almost to to make it work. I think the premise is really interesting of the smash and grab. I think that the environment is really interesting. I loved some of the production choices. I generally liked the performances. I just think that the script was a fucking mess. Yeah, the smash and grab introduction to it was cool as hell. If they had just made it about LDV and not about the rest of the gear, yeah, I think that's a way to fix it. Yeah, That's a way to fix the stakes because if you're just trying to get him back or the doc's hollow emitter, it doesn't feel as existential of a threat to be without all of the shit you need to survive. In right, the way and then the are. lightness of the episode actually mm-hmm. makes sense yeah yeah well an in- interesting episode but uh not a good one i would say yeah i think i agree well adam do you want to see if there's any interesting priority one messages in the inbox i would jump off of a bridge into a river <laughs> to read these p1s ben wow priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Starting with our first one, it's from Gimbal, Zoke, Token, Egghead, Carry, and Tyrig. Now we ask for pronunciations for all our P1s. (laughs) None are given, so that's what you get. Yeah, none none for that totally strange list of names. (laughs) This message is for Donovan, and the message goes like this. Congratulations on your marriage. Whoa. May you and she who is now your wife travel safely to many conferences on the shuttle Brunhilde. (laughs) We continue to thank Jana for handing you over to us every Tuesday night. I just hope that you don't call her by the wrong name at the wedding. You might get your tongue cut out for that sort of thing. Whoa. The requested date for this was August 6th. So this is uh, almost right on top of that. I love it. Congratulations, Donovan and Jana. Yeah, keep that tongue in your mouth. Say the right name. <laughs> Except during the wedding kiss. Then I think it's probably okay to, to slip a little tongue. That's Get a fun. little bit of tongue involved. Not too yeah. much. Come on, grandma's watching. Yeah. Adam, our next priority one message is from your two bestest buds, and it is to Chuck the Hammer. The Hammer. Goes like this. Happy birthday, something like six months late, from your besties. We got this for you for the big 4-0 but we also expect for it to air sometime during your 50th if TGG stays true to form. Ouch. You are the best friend of DeSoto we could hope to have, and we love you. Well, you're two bestest buds. Tough but fair. Yeah. And in, in that pronouncement, this date was requested back in uh, June. Yeah. Mid-June. Mid-June. And look at us. But we got there, you know. We got to you. Yeah. Not six months late, not a not ten years late, a regular number of days late. You know what? 
Chuck the Hammer's probably still celebrating their big 4-0. That's, a, that's probably a several-month ordeal. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe your two bestest buds could take a page from the playbook of Glimble, Zoke, Token, Egghead, Gary, and Tyrig. Indeed. If you'd like to take a page from the playbook of Glimble, Zoke, Token, Egghead, Carry, and Tyrig, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get yourself a P1. We'd sure appreciate it. Yeah. You know why? They help the ongoing production of this show. Oh, yeah, I guess they do. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Hmm, I think I'm going to have to give it to the captain. It seems like she's having a great time. She's having the most fun, but it also does feel kind of nutty at many turns and hard to justify. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it to her. How about you? Same. I can't describe her the way that I have this entire episode and not make her my Shimoda. (laughs) She's putting fun at the top of the list. And that's great ordinarily, but not when you're missing your entire computer core. Yeah. Just think of the tax documents Ugh. that thing can process. Think of the uh, little folder of uh, horny photos sent in by a friend of DeSoto. I mean, we know how many teraflops it can process, but how many tera ropes can it make? <laughs> Probably more than we could even count. Indeed. Well, that just about does it for that episode, Adam. But the real question on my mind is how the next episode we review are, is going to go. Do you want to head over to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about season four, episode 12, Mortal Coil? Do it. Neelix is killed during an away mission, but is revived using modified board technology. Shit. (laughs) I wish you just read. Hey, let's take that again with you just reading the first part. Okay. This is take two on episode description. Okay. Neelix is killed during an away mission. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a great episode coming up, Ben. Yeah, pretty enticing episode description. (laughs) All right, Ben. Uh, It's my role, yeah? Is that what Mm -hmm. you're saying? Yeah. I'm looking at our runabout where it is pulsing happily on the face of square 17. Yeah. Uh, Just one square ahead is a quarks bar, and a couple squares past that is the... uh, his eyes uncovered square where we both trade Tamarian style metaphors back and forth oh, the entire yeah. episode. And then a couple squares past that, a banger. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So kind of a lot can happen on this roll. Don't fuck with me, game. <laughs> roll that thing. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Man, I have rolled a five. Whoa. Which has wiggled its way over and around the two special squares, landing us on square 22. Then it's a regular old episode next week. Man, we're up on that third row, where we belong. That's what I think. Very fun. We're going to give Neelix's death the solemn seriousness (laughs) that it deserves. Well, you know what this show deserves, Adam, is five-star reviews across the board. If you enjoy this program... It's the least you can do. Go to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review on it, tell people why you like it, and uh, we really appreciate that. It's free. It's free love. Yeah. It's free love like our parents knew about back in the day. If you love it in a way that you don't want to be free, you can support us by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. 
What are you going to do with that five bucks? And then, then if you change your mind and you do want it to be free again, you could just follow us at Greatest Trek on social media. Yeah. Those accounts are uh, run by Bill Tilly, the card daddy. You're talking about the Twitter and the Instagram accounts? Yeah, yeah. That's where you can go to see the pictures from the stuff that was sent in with the code 47. Follow that stuff. Go to drunkshmoto.com. Thank you to Adam Ragusia for the music and Dark Materia for the original music and Wendy Pretty for producing the program. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that dies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Three, two, one. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.